Chapter 25 of The Grey Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter 25. Marjorie Bids Her Love Good Night. I was just rejoicing that the battle was well over, and that the victory remained with us without great shedding of blood, when to my infinite astonishment I saw a little dark cloud of five or six men disengage them from the deray, and charge straight at the thickest of us. They seemed to come suddenly out of the mist of the battling snowstorm, for the driven flakes beat so in their faces, that had it not been shed from their armor, they would have been fairly sheeted white in it, as indeed were the trappings of their horses. In a moment more they were amongst us, Bargany himself first of all, with Cloncaird and James and Andrew Bannatyne, and behind them with his sword-bear, Ochendrain himself. Yet I opine he came not willingly, but that his horse, unaccustomed to noise, ran away with him. By what freak of madness they resolved thus to charge, as it had been an army in position, it is beyond me to tell. In a moment these five were in the midst of the slicing steel and the flame of ordnance, the snowflakes driving in their eyes, and their swords cutting away through the white drift to reach the foe. Never was there such a fight, at least not in this land, for there were but five of them to near a hundred of us, so that I saw no honour in the battle, and besides it went hard with me to have to smite that Gilbert Kennedy at whose side I had ridden so blithely all the way to the house of the inch. But I spurred Dom Nicholas forward with a kind of joy, toward the mound where Auchendrain had managed to stay his horse just outside the heady rush of the fight. I saw that he meant to watch what the end might be, but I was determined that I should give him more than he bargained for. So I couched Lance, and crying, a Kennedy held at him, swinging a pistol point-blank as I came, and throwing it away as I gripped the spear. And this time, at least, I might well have been called Spurheel, for I rowled Dom Nicholas most vigorously. I came upon John Muir with a surge, so that I clean overbore him with a lance-thrust in the thigh. I cared not a jot that he was old, the devil was older than he. And besides, if he wanted not to stand the chance of battle, he might even have bided at home, for the quarrel was none of his. And it had been telling all of us if I had stayed to finish him. When I think of the ill the man did afterwards, and how for years he had been bringing many to their deaths, I can bite my thumb for letting him off scot-free. But like a fool I contented myself with the lance-thrust, and the chance pistol-bullet I sped at him in the heat of the fight. For I never could abide the cruel slaying of the wounded, which is practised even more in these private wars than in the great affairs of nations. And this over-delicacy has often stood in the way of my advantage. So I turned, and left Auchendrain lying on the ground. As I came back I heard Bargany crying out, I fear we are too few, but have at them till we die. There was but one that fought with him, all his other companions being stricken down, and in a trice he alone was left on his horse. Nevertheless, it was with a light hand on the rein and a feet touch of the heel that Gilbert Kennedy kept his head, though the blows fell like hail on his armor. There were three that he held at arm's length, all the while crying out for the earl and trying fiercely to break through the spearmen who stood like a fence about the person of Cassillis. "'Where's my lord himself?' he cried. Let him now keep promise, and come out like a man to break a tree with me. So went the fight of the one against many, and such deeds of valiance saw I never any man do in this realm of Scotland, though in my time I have seen so many brave and worthy things done. 
For Gilbert Kennedy attacked Patrick Rippett and Quintain Crawford with strokes that nearly dang them senseless, crying at each blow, Bargany, Bargany, to the rescue, Bargany. But ever as he raged through the fight like a lion, I saw John Dick watching him with a poised lance in his hand. And while Gilbert was at blows with Rippet and Big Quintain, Dick raised the spear and sent it quivering at him with an art which I never saw any man master of, save only himself. Gilbert Kennedy had taken no note of him, for as I heard afterwards, Auchendrine had told all that were in the camp of Bargany that John Dick was his man and his paid intelligencer in the host of the enemy. The poised lance struck young Bargany full in the neck and stayed. So in the midst of his foes, and striking at them to the last, he fell, who was the bravest man of his age. And at his overthrow there fell a silence for a space, and the battle smother cleared. Only the snow fell, and scarce melted on the face that was already white and set in death. We crossed our spears and made a bier with our cloaks, whereon we laid him. Then very gently I drew away the deadly lance, though the wound bled not much, but inwardly which was worse. We thought to bear him to some castle of his own folk, as it might be to the house of Auchendrain. But the Earl John came and looked at his foe and kinsman as he lay on the snow with his eyes closed. Carry him to my castle at the town end of Maybole, said he, for that is nearby. Now I thought that not the best place in the world for the young man's recovery, but being bidden, it was not mine to reply, but only to obey. We came to the portcullis gate of Maybole, and were bearing him in upon our shoulders, when down the road to the town there came, riding like the wind, first a lady and then a man that followed hotly in pursuit. When they came nearer, I saw that the lady was she who had been Marjorie Kennedy, and that the man riding after her was her husband, James Muir. At sight of us, who bore the soldier's beer slowly on our spears, Marjorie leaped from her horse and left it to wander, bridle-free, whither it would. But a page seized and held it. She came swiftly to where we were carrying our burden on the crossed lances. Is it Gilbert Kennedy, she said? We told her I. Lay him down under the gate, she commanded. I would speak with him. But my lady Marjorie, I said, as gently as I could, I fear that he is dead already. Then I would even speak to him dead, she cried. Lay him down. Her husband came up to take her by the hand as if to remove her, but she turned on him in white anger, swift and flaming. You that have never dared to lay a hand on me, is it like that you shall begin now? Go, look to your father. Cravens that shun the battle ought not to brawl with women in the gate. And without further remonstrance, James Muir slunk away, like the very pitiful rogue that he was. I could have kicked the cur, and wished there had been fewer folk there, for I had done it too. Then she that had been so proud and haughty to young Bargany when he was alive, took the fair wounded head in her arms, crouching beside him in the dun trampled snow, while the flakes blew in upon her unbound hair. She crooned and hushed him like a bairn, while we that had borne him stood wide from her, some turning away altogether. But because I knew all and loved her, I stood near. Gilbert, she said, noblest and dearest, never doubt but that I loved you, never loved but you. Though I flouted you oft, and ever sent you empty away, yet I loved you and none other. And I want the world to know that I loved him, I, she said, turning her face up to us all defiantly. Ay, and loved him with clean hands, too, for he that is dead never knew it. But I desire you that were his enemies in life, to know that I, Marjorie Kennedy, honoured myself by loving the noblest man and the fairest, not that thing there, who by cousinance bought me, as cattle are bought in the marketplace. 
She laid down his head very gently, taking a fine silken scarf, soft and white from her own neck, and in the folds of that which was yet warm with the warmth of her pure and gracious bosom, she wrapped from common sight the head of him who had died without knowledge of her love. Then she kneeled low down upon her knees, clasping hands and holding the last fold of the napkin ere she covered his face from sight. Ah, best beloved, she said very gently, yet so that I could hear, fare thee well. So have I never said farewell before. But ever scornfully, being in fear of mine own heart's treachery, lie you there that wert the noblest man the sun shone on, of adversaries the most fearless, of enemies the most chivalrous, of friends the truest, of loves the sweetest. Lie you there. Those that hated you were many, but there was one that loved you, ay, and loves you, and ever shall love you. Lie you there, heart that never feared aught but God, and dishonour, and a lie, heart that never took favour from man, nor refused one to woman. See, I will touch your lips, those sweetest lips that never of my own will have I touched before. The earth be kind to your body, sweet, the heavens receive your soul with honour, and the angels that warred with Satan and vanquished him stand up at your entrance to give you room. She smoothed the cloth upon the face with mighty love in the caressing of her fingertips. Good night, dear love, she said, lifting it for the last time and kissing his brow. It is sweet, even thus in death, to tell thee that I love thee. Then, when Marjorie had done bidding her love farewell, we lifted the crossed spears, and setting them again on the shoulders of men, we carried Gilbert of Bargany away. End of chapter 25